Hey, this is Sean Larry. Welcome back to QC Uncut, the number one rated podcast in the Quad Cities and your source for uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers. As always, we are at one of the lovely spots in the Quad Cities, a great coffee shop that you may have heard of called Theo's in downtown Rock Island, which is always highly recommended. And my guest today is Clay Sander. Now, Clay is a local playwright and um, has also done a number of other things in regard to the theater and writing and things of that nature. We're going to talk about some of that stuff. He has a new show coming up. Uh, it's called um, Losers Bracket. I don't. I, I know it's Losers Bracket, but for some reason I want to say Lobby Hero because there was a show called Lobby sure. Hero that was <laughs> kind of similar in town. Yeah. Um, but it is called Losers Bracket. It is debuting at the Black Box Theater in downtown Moline on November 15th. It's rolling that weekend. November 15th through the 17th and then it is going the following weekend as well which would be the 20 I think it goes at do you guys do have a Thursday show the 21st 22nd 23rd Sounds right. yeah <laughs> so Starts on November 15th, and it is down at the Black Box Theater, which is a terrific venue in downtown Moline, across from the giant husk that used to be the dispatch building. So, uh, Clay, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I haven't been to Theo's in a long time. Did this expand, or is it just... I thought it was just that one section over there, and then they got it on. No, it's been this way for a while. Okay, well, it's been around for a while, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, way back in December, of 2007 I did I way back 2007 uh, I directed and produced and wrote an indie film called your favorite band and we have had our debut of that here at Theo's back here is right there up on the stage so it's kind of neat yeah Theo's fantastic spot for those of you who have not been here gotta check it out so Clay thanks a lot again for meeting up with me um let's talk a little bit about um losers bracket the show you got coming up it is obviously um semi-autobiographical at least Mm -hmm. so why don't you tell me about the origin of it and you know how the whole thing got started how long you've been working on this and is it um kind of it was it all one play that you were doing or was it kind of an amalgam of short stories or vignettes that kind of got put together into a show yeah it's 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 not a terribly long story. I don't want you to, you know, I don't want to bore you with all the details, but... Um, don't bore us with them. Excite us with them, Clay. That's the whole point of the show. <laughs> the the, uh, the part that I... First of all, as, as far as a local, I'm originally from Comanche, Iowa, uh-huh. right? So, uh, in Cl- the Clinton area. So, my brother and I grew up there, and we both moved to Chicago area, where I still am. Um, where you were on in Chicago? I, I lived in the city for 12 years, and now I moved to the suburbs of the Naperville Aurora area. Oh, okay. So... Um, the play we always uh, ran in Chicago off and on for about three or four years under different productions. Now, where where did it play up in Chicago, and was Nick DiGiulio involved with any of this, any of the productions? Uh, no, but I, 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 no, no, he was not, but okay. uh, w, not he was in WNEP Theater, I believe, uh-huh. at one point, and that's who originally produced it. They, it was I produced thought, by them. Yeah, and then there was some sort of tie between the two. Figures. Yeah, and we also did, um, uh, then we picked it up and put it onto the theater building, which is now stage three, uh, 773 in Chicago, mm-hmm. and that ran for a while. We ran at the Apollo Theater. It's run a couple other places up in uh, Rochester, uh, Champaign, Illinois, uh, and then a, uh, a brief thing in, in L.A. But we always wanted the play to come back to where it was inspired, which was around here. Uh, now how did it go in Chicago? Because this seems like exactly like when I was reading about it, mm-hmm. it seemed to me like exactly like the kind of thing that would go over really well in Chicago because yeah. it's very character-driven. 
there's a lot of uh, kind of interesting folks hanging around in a tavern and stuff, and and so it's the kind of stuff that really does tend to go over well in those black boxes up in the city. For WNEP, it was a hit. It was a it was a big hit for them. Uh, after that, we had to sort of regroup it and started our own company to put it out. We made a few mistakes in that. I think it just ran in the summer, and that was really tough. We made our money back, and it was at the point people were showing interest in making it into a film, mm-hmm. and so we said, you know what, let's pull up the stakes on the theater production of this and just try to concentrate on making it a film. And when when that came out, the time of this was around 2007, 2008, when independent film was starting to die. Mm-hmm. And now it's resurging at Netflix and street live streaming and things uh-huh. like that, and YouTube, you can get them anywhere. But back then, if you wanted to go to the theater to see a movie, it's like okay, you're going to go see a superhero movie or zombie movie or something like that. So the the market kind of steered us in a different direction. Uh, What we decided to do was, uh, I said, look, it's not going to be made into a film right now, but it's still a really good play that should be done elsewhere. Let's see if we can get it published. And uh, thankfully, it was was published. It was published by Dramatic Publishing. So now we have uh, a published play. Mm -hmm. And so anybody can do it. And I uh, had found out that the Black Box Theater, where we do a podcast as well, they uh, were interested in it. They did a read-through here, and I felt they should do it in the Quad Cities because it's about Clinton, Comanche, Quad Cities type mm-hmm. of folks. And so they decided to do it, which I was really happy about. Now, Dave Bondi, who's the director of this, grew up with me. Mm-hmm. I, we were in eighth grade from eighth grade on, and when I found out he would be interested in directing it, I said go have them get the rights and see and try to get it done and that's what that's what happened but in chicago it was a hit but then it just sort of it's theater's tough theater storefront yes. theaters is so tough to do but it was I'll say this. We never had anybody walk out of there who didn't like it. Mm-hmm. It's just that sometimes you just you're competing against so much you know, you got to have something a gimmick almost to break through and we just had a good play. Right. A good comedy play that wasn't, you know, didn't have a star yeah. <laughs> type of thing. So well, and dude, summer. I mean, yeah, summer in theater is it's a little difficult because you, you're you know you're competing with all the outdoor events, and everything else, and unless you're a musical, it's really tough to get traction in the summer in terms of uh, dramatic play. Exactly right, and and it's not that the audiences were you know not interested. It was just, it was just a tough. It's a tough market, and when you say okay, there's this is a great script. We can there's we have a screenplay for it. It was originated as a screenplay. We actually adapted it to a play, and now then we adapted it back to a screenplay so it's had different lives and we always felt you could make a series out of it there's a lot the characters are good enough that like any good sitcom if you have good characters you can put right. those characters in any situation and it'll be funny we feel the same way with losers bracket so I think so. Looking at it, um, one of the th- other things I wanted to ask you about as the writer is: Were you at all um, inspired by Martin McDonough? Because when I was reading the synopsis of it, then mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so I was wondering, if, like, how dark the humor is, or how light the humor is. And in looking at the synopsis, it looked like something that if it goes dark, it could be so- somewhat. You know, similar to McDonough. Is that something that was in your mind, or is it something that's a little bit more lighthearted? And and you know, I love the. I would love to be compared to that because In Bruges is one of my all-time favorite screenplays of all time. In a walk, it's so great. Um, but this was written before all of, before he sort of came on the scene. Mm-hmm. We were probably my brother and I, Nate, uh, were probably more in line with the Cohen brothers, mm-hmm. okay. where people when they listened to the read through of it said, "Boy, this feels like." Um, uh, 
a simple plan. Sure. Or which was coined, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 and and it felt like Lebowski, and it felt like mm-hmm. those types of movies um, that they could identify with. And we took that very seriously because as writers, we would just uh, you know we admire them so much. Right, yeah. So we were really um, meticulous about word placement, where the cuss words go, how it's said. We were very meticulous with the script, and that's a Coen Brothers influence for sure mm-hmm. and we're, we're big Woody Allen fans too so dialogue is very important to us so if it's natural if it's the way people talk that's why we like it so tell me a little bit about the show and tell the people who are listening a little bit about the show what was it inspired by tell me tell us a little bit about the characters and the plot and how it goes sure the 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 play takes place in a town called Downsmore we didn't call it Lowmore or Chicago or Comanche or anything sure. like that. we Springfield did it. <laughs> Springfielded right, right. it. Uh, we made it down some more. And it takes place primarily at a place called Boo's Tavern, owned by Boo, the bartender, and owned ultimately by a fellow named Hitch Bigwood. His name's Gus Bigwood, but he goes by Hitch because he has a hitch in his step. He got injured on the job at a uh, factory, and he got a large settlement, which means he didn't have to work for the rest of his life. Sure. Um, the other patrons are two guys by the name of Ethan and Tiny. Uh, they have just been laid off from the plant for their work. They play softball, softball, and they fish, and they do all these things, but that's their life, but they've lost their jobs. A sheriff uh, who also hangs out at the bar on company time, uh, on city time, uh, is part of it too. What happens is they, because Hitch wants to have a big retirement and get out of town, he's sick of the town, he drums up an, an automobile insurance scam where he has a model, uh, model car that he's going to fake steal and put that plan into action and collect the trumped up insurance claim. That... I will, without giving too much away, it does work. The problems happen when they start divvying up the money and who gets what and what they're going to do with that money. That's when things start to unravel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much how it goes without giving away the rest of the, rest of the plot. But what, what was inspired by, to answer your question, I worked for um, the city garage in my hometown of Comanche, and there was a lot of characters that were kind of based on that. Uh, my brother also worked in various jobs where there were just you knew people like this. You knew people that uh, were desperate. They weren't losers, and that's the other thing. Losers bracket isn't a comment on the people. Losers bracket means that you've lost, but you have a second chance. Right. You can come back. You can come back in the losers bracket, still win it all. So. Uh, one of the common misconceptions was that losers meant we thought these guys were losers. They're not. They're desperate. And Hitch is really rather cunning and smart and shrewd. He's a jerk. <laughs> He's a big jerk, and he lords over these guys. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they're not stupid. They're not losers. They're, they're just desperate guys. And that's what we wanted to stress. And so because Clinton and Comanche at the time, and even, even to today, there's just some blue-collar stuff, just stuff that happens to you, not because of anything you've done. You get laid off. Just jobs aren't there. Um, people do. People can do desperate things, and it can lead them down the wrong path. But that's kind of where we got inspired from. Are the characters based on any real-life people, and how do those real-life people feel about that if they know about it? <laughs> Great question. They are based... So, um, they're an amalgam of people we know. We use real names mm-hmm. in it, but none of them are directly based on them. Um, 
so there's some we don't use full names we use last names and surnames and first names but ultimately no it's not based on any one single person we do drop names from our hometown and when the people from the hometown came to chicago on a bus trip it was probably the best show we ever did because they recognized every single name in it mm-hmm. um, but no we don't uh it's it's more of a mixture of people but definitely a type of person that it's definitely based on a type of person. I think most people will recognize somebody in their life that's like these guys, or even Boo, the, the bartender. That's right. Um, so what kind of a comedy is it? What, what would you, I mean, is it type Coen Brothers type of humor, or what type of humor would you say? I think it's a straightforward caper comedy. Okay. It's just, there's really no sentiment sentiment to it. It's not less sentimental. Uh, it's easier to say what it's not. It's, it's not sentimental. It doesn't... Um, it's not a. It's not slapstick in a lot of ways. It has some of it in there, but really, it's just a straightforward. I would say it's closer to Cheers. Okay. Um, in that you get all the characters, you know, you get to know them all. You, they're all different, and they all have different motivations. But ultimately, again, you throw them in a certain situation. If you, once you get to know them in, throughout the first act, you can't wait to see what they do next. At least that's our hope, mm-hmm. and that's what I would describe it as. Just a straightforward comedy. What do you remember from seeing the show for the first time? Do you remember being there in the audience? Because I know what this is like. I know what this feeling is like. You put so much work in behind the scenes. People don't, unless you've ever done theater, you don't realize how much work. And for a writer, it's isolation. You're sitting at coffee shops and village inns late at night and polishing the script and everything else. And then you finally get to opening night and you have an audience. And you get a reaction to to what you put all this work in to creating. What was that like for you when you first experienced that? I would say, uh, let me go back even further than that. The first table read we did of it before it became a final script we did a read through at WNEP. We cast it with people and just sat with the scripts and read it. And that was goosebump time because I got my brother and I both got to hear what we'd been doing back and forth because I do a lot of voices Mm -hmm. so when I read a script I do the voices for my brother back and forth and he'll read one and and we'll read it back and forth and so when you hear actual great actors do the read through almost everybody we cast in the read through ended up being in the original cast Mm -hmm. so that first read through in front of we had like 50 some people in the audience to listen to it got huge laughs and we knew what we knew where the problems were we knew what we had to fix we had a narrator we got rid of that so that was a big moment for us and we had other read-throughs of other projects but this was the one that everybody liked and then the opening night i was more nervous than i was at my wedding it was i was uh, because and what's like a wedding in a way because you know if you if you run your own wedding you're on your own ceremony and you're in charge of everything and you you don't the parents don't do it you do everything you don't necessarily enjoy every moment of your reception and wedding because you're worried about everybody getting in line. Uh-huh. Same thing with this. I just like, just please don't fumble that line. Oh my! I hope this prop works. I hope. Uh-huh. This. So my first night was really fun, but nerve wracking. After that, after I saw that they had it down, I was there most nights mm-hmm. and just enjoyed. Just enjoyed it. It was a big difference. So how did you first get started in writing and in writing plays specifically? Um, were you, you know, really intrigued by this as a kid? Were you, you know, somebody who liked writing jokes or writing other different kind of comic books or whatever? And then you kind of, you know, dipped your toe into playwriting? Or was this something that was a passion of yours from the get-go? 
Um, I was first and foremost a sketch comedy writer. So me and Dave Bondi did sketch, two-man sketch comedy. We did it in Chicago for a while. I wrote for radio. I wrote for... Um, I've written for a lot of different sketch comedy. I wrote for... Uh, just for a lot of different sketch comedy. My brother was more into the narrative. He went to Iowa's Writers Workshop. He did a lot of things. He wanted to write screenplays. He wanted to write full-length scripts. So because I could write... And he could write comedy too, but because we could really, we knew each other's brains pretty well and knew where we were going to go. We had a very similar perspective. We could write very quickly. Mm. What I think, um, I think you could trace pretty much everything I've ever done creatively to probably Looney Tunes (laughs) and the Beatles, right? Like those two, like everything about those are creatively pushing me, but I was laughing at things that adults were laughing at, which was Bugs Bunny. My dad was laughing at that. I'm like, what's funny about that? It's not... There's something about that. It always intrigued me to be a com- to write comedy for people like my dad to laugh at or my mom. And so I always wanted to be funny. So I never wanted to write a drama. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to write anything that was heavy. I still might do that now. But right. at the time, I was always like, how can we make this p- people laugh the most? Sketch comedy was the way it was because I was a Monty Python freak oh, yeah. and Looney Tunes freak. So when I got into, started seeing Woody Allen movies and I started seeing, um, uh, you know, films that were really Fish Called Wanda, Monty Python, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, look, we, these are some things that are really funny and they're better payoffs if you set it up longer. It didn't occur to me to do a full-length play until I was challenged by my theater company to write a full-length play. And I wrote one by myself that was pretty good. It wasn't great. It was a, it was a totally different uh subject then when i got with my brother to write losers bracket it was originally called the regulars and he had an idea and i had an idea and they both seemed to mesh so this was our first like okay look we can really we can really tell a good story and get a lot of different things in there that we like let's try it so it it was more of a challenge it was kind of a gauntlet laid down like hey you guys are really funny you guys are good writers why don't you try something that's 90 plus pages Mm -hmm. oh Okay. Yeah. And my brother was good with form. He knew how to do formats sure. and stuff, so that helped me too, as opposed to me just throwing it down on a Word document and hoping for the best. So, yeah. Um, have you ever written a novel or done anything else beyond that? Is this only the second play you've written then? Uh, it's the sec- it was the first play we got produced. It was the, uh, one of two. We had a second play that ran in Chicago too that was called Bad Judgment Day, which I still really, really liked. The problem with it was we put it up WNEP put it up right as they were getting ready to get shut down. Mm-hmm. The theater was shutting down, so it was a really odd time. It was a weird theater experience. It just didn't work out, so we pulled it back, and it's still there, and we still loved it, but it needed another draft. Uh, but it was produced, and it was done, so that was our second full-length play. I wrote a full-length with Dave Bondi. We wrote a full-length two-man show, but not necessarily a, a play you would produce somewhere else so yeah it was our second full-length play the third one never got produced um which i'd still like to try someday but i need to have a few victories under my belt before anybody considers that one (laughs) what what is it it was called crumpt and it was based on a british actor who is sort of an alec guinness story where he's this brilliant wonderful well-renowned actor who's known mainly as Ben Kenobi. And, and, and he resents it to no end. And he gets get, he keeps getting cast in B-movies and bad movies because of it. And his career just keeps going south. And he's resenting it all the way. We were going to make a musical out of it. Mm-hmm. And we wrote a play about it. And it was really funny. Um, I thought, 
but it just never we never developed it beyond that but we've always we've done we've crumped has shown up in our comedy thingy podcast as a character uh-huh. in some sketches so he's shown up in other things but not in that full length play that was crumped so so what else uh, have you done in the writing genre that you've really enjoyed doing uh, the sketch comedy was pretty much Bondi and Sander. Then we did uh, a show called Leopold, which was done at uh, in Chicago for well, quite a while. Um, and I did it also with a guy named Patrick Brennan out of Chicago who hosts our com- comedy thingy podcast. Mm-hmm. We, I, I started comedy thingy with Jeff DeLeon, um, Rick Davis, and Dave Bondi. It's been about five, six years ago now. We mm-hmm. did sketch comedy shows live. Um, I wrote the majority of the material. Dave wrote some of it too with me and Rick and Jeff wrote too but really I, I had the bulk of it and eventually I said this is too difficult to sort of put up a full sketch comedy show when I'm living in Chicago sure so we I decided why don't we do like an old radio show right bring the scripts in and just we have Jessica Nickel White we have uh, uh, the the thingies we have uh, Patrick Brennan who hosts this and uh, Tom Makey and Mark and diff- different people from from here we read the script together at four five o'clock and then we go out in front of a live audience at seven thirty, and we record three shows a night and those are the podcasts that go out in the air it's been great because i don't have to rehearse it uh-huh. we don't have to get props we don't have to hit our marks we have it all on scripts and we do it like our old radio show in front of a live audience and it's been a lot of fun do you have the files for that because we'd love to put that up on quadcities.com you'd have to ask mr dealy on that one he has all that i know i keep on trying to get a hold of him and he like oh, okay uh, i think they for okay yeah i think <laughs> Yeah, because we we'd love to put it up there. We're more than happy to put up uh, local podcasts and host them on the on the website and everything. That's and then, all, Mister. That's all, Jeff. All Jeff D. Me, I'm I'm just the, I'm just the you know the the sweet sweet middle. <laughs> I think I think he had told me at one point that they you guys had some sort of exclusive agreement with somebody else or whatever. I can't remember what it was. I'm, I'm sure we do. I just <laughs> <laughs> this is Jeff's this is Jeff's this is Jeff's realm. I I write the stuff and I write the songs to make the whole world sing. Gotcha, that's all. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Very. Um, what were you? What were you like as a kid? What you know? Were you uh, very extroverted? Were you introverted? Were you um, say, you know? Did you kind of seek solace in your writing, or did you? Or there different characters? Did you take on different characters to kind of get through your day? What's what kind of kid were you, and what were you like growing up? Well, I don't know if I've been asked that. That's a really great question, John. Um, well, I often find artists like people of an artistic bent. It doesn't just strike like a comet. You, there's always something from the very beginning where you've had to navigate the world in a certain way and you've developed a certain set of techniques which ultimately ends up coming out in your artwork whatever your artwork may be i would say to answer i was not an extrovert i was an introvert i was right in the middle i could turn it on when i needed to and i would love to sit in my room and just dream as well um i think i developed a sense of humor out of a defense mechanism which was if you're bullied you better come up with something that's going to put these guys in their place before they swing at you. Mm-hmm. And I could do that very well. I, the Sander side of me is very... When my Sander family gets together, it's like a sarcastic all-star game. I mean, it just turns into this thing where you're like, you like you just better be on your toes. And that honed that knife, you know, that sharpened that knife pretty well. Um, so I, I definitely developed it as a mechanism. I also, and I heard George Carlin talk about this, he wanted adult 
attention. He wanted the attention of yeah. adults. And boy, I, I identified with that. I wanted to make my family laugh. I wanted to make older kids and older um, adults laugh. So I was always trying to find a way to make that happen. Whether I, I, But I wasn't hitting myself over the head. I wanted to get a sharp, adult, clever line out mm-hmm. that would make them laugh. Not fall down and be goofy. Say something say something that was funny and that was a big difference between me and a lot of kids a lot of kids just i'm just gonna be goofy and silly and be dumb and they're gonna laugh i wanted to be smart and funny Mm -hmm. and i i achieved that sometimes and sometimes maybe they courtesy laughed me but i always felt better when i could make my grandfather laugh at something or anybody so that's where what i was like i wanted to make people laugh by something by not being uh over the top not being crazy but being funny that's a big that's a fine line maybe as a kid but i i thrived off of it i never wanted to be this if i was down if i was ever sort of low i could pick myself up by imagining things i i would spend like sort of the andy kaufman thing like i would just come up with my own thing i would just be i would just be other characters i'd make up voices and i'd i'd play entire baseball games being the announcer and hitting the ball and I do all that stuff. So that's kind of where the imagine when you didn't have video games and you didn't have a lot right. of crap, you just made up your own little world. And that's what I did. That's that's interesting. You bring that up because I often I think about that. Being a father of an eleven year old, I see how different their world was. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm Gen X, so I was kind of on the cusp where we had video games, but they were very primitive. It wasn't like you know, and we had cable, but it was like a thousand dollars a month yeah. to get cable, so nobody it's fucking had it. Right? Exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. It wasn't. It was. So I wasn't. We weren't completely outside of that realm of technology when I was a little kid, but it was very, very, very different and nowhere near as ubiquitous as it is today, and so we still did a lot of things within the realms of our imagination, and so... It's intriguing to see, like, how are these how are these kids going to express that? How are they going to express their imagination and bring forth new works of art to life when they've been raised in an environment that's so different from that that right. you know earlier generations and have been, that, and, and things that take time, right? Like YouTube, if it's more than a minute, are you clicking on that? I mean, a, a, right. a buck thirty, maybe you're, you're looking at it. If it's four minutes, it, there better be a payoff for these guys, mm-hmm. including. And I throw myself in that. I'm not above that short attention span theater where if I see a, hey, look at this, and it's eight minutes, I'm like, okay, i got to find eight minutes to sit and watch this thing. Or, hey, here's something that's two minutes. It's different. So what I'm seeing with my nieces and nephews and all the kids is, uh, you know, they're glued to their phones. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. you got to limit that. But at the same time, I'm like, their attention spans, they're not, there's no pay off down the road it's all sort of immediate i don't want to say all but it's very immediate satisfaction so the video games give them that rush youtube gives them that click thing let's do this and get it out i just think it hurts i think it hurts live theater a lot i think it hurts movies right where you really have to have that attention span um so that's what i worry about is is everything going to be bite-sized is everything going to be five minutes I don't like that. I wanted to. I want to see. I want to sit down and sit in a movie for a couple hours or an hour and a half, even, and just sort of take me someplace that I'm not expecting, surprise me, or don't, or just make it something that's worth watching. I don't want to waste 90 minutes. People don't want to waste 90 minutes. They don't mind wasting five minutes. That's right. a big difference. That's what I see now. Is that people don't they don't they don't mind wasting five minutes. They don't want to waste 15. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so. 
Um, if you've been in the public eye for any amount of time, somebody's going to dislike you. Oh. Somebody's going to disagree with you. You're going to get a bad review. Yeah. Um, what, how have you dealt with that? How have you dealt with criticism, bad reviews? Are there any that stick out in your mind, any particular criticisms that stand out? Um, whether they be salient or whether they be something like, wow, you know, he had a really good point. Because it's true. Like Sometimes somebody brings up something that's really good that you didn't see because you're so immersed in it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that because I'm so in the middle of this that I didn't really get that outside perspective. Now, other times people completely lose the point of what you're trying to do yeah. and, and they criticize criticize something and they didn't even get it in the right. first place so how do, you, how do you deal with that how have you dealt with that i've been fortunate to get pretty good reviews on stuff but there have been some things where there was a critic that um took shots at um actors physical appearance i was like hey wait a minute that's over the line yeah, to it's me. pretty relevant there's also been times where um someone has criticized um the use we they thought we, we had a sponsor in the show that they didn't like that. I say, like, well, okay, well, that's that's fine. I, I'm not going to remove it. But as far as like the substance of the shows, I think the the one time I remember thinking, that's a pretty good point. Uh, me and Dave Bondi were doing a two man show, and it was it was a satire about um, a lot of things, but it really was satirical about racism. And to show that satire, which is almost dead now, you had to show examples of bad racial sure. behavior and we did it we heightened it we got it bad and i remember of you saying because in the middle of the show we did a sketch where i was playing a an african-american woman in, in, the, in the show right so i had to do certain things that make you know that i was an african-american woman i got reviewed it said it's crazy that they made such a great statement about race relations that they went in and did a stereotypical character in the middle of the show mm-hmm. I thought it was a great point. I, I should. I was like, boy, that's a really astute thing. I should. I should have pulled that from the show. We didn't pull it from the show because it was a key callback to another thing later. I couldn't like remove it, but I changed. I did change a little bit of the way. I got to say, I, I changed a little bit of the way I did it. Mm-hmm. I didn't go as over the top with it. I think I sacrificed some laughs. But for me, it was like, that's a really good point. And I'm glad there's, I actually ended up, I actually knew the reviewer a little bit. And he told me this in person too, which I thought was big of him. I thought it was really big of him. His name was Dan Izzo was his name. And he did, it was really big of him to say that to me and then put it in print. And I go, that's a great point. So I pulled back. Other than that, um, I try not to put too much stake in great reviews. Because if you start believing your own press clippings, you don't grow, I think, if you start right. believing it. That was my next question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is that, how have you dealt with positive reviews? Because sometimes they can, you know, lead you down a, a path that's uh, difficult. I mean, it, it sounds weird, but, like, you, sometimes they're great. They, the person gets the show. They understand what you're trying to say. They understand the whole point of the show, and they, they nail it, and they love it. And then other times, sometimes maybe somebody likes it, but they like it for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I would say this. I think this is going to sound really glib, but I think a bad review will not keep anybody who is going to go go see it. Right. I think a good review will motivate somebody to go see something if they're on the fence. Right. Other than that, it, there may be a few people that are influenced by it, but the way I look at a review is I hate a bad review if for the cast. I don't want them to be deflated. I don't want them to go, oh, boy, we're on a real dud here. I thought it was really good, but, boy, I guess not. That's never happened, you know, cross my fingers, hope that, you know, mm-hmm. hand to God, I've been fortunate. But 
we've had we had shows we had to cancel because not enough people showed up right sure. and like back in chicago that's like god that's heartbreaking that's worse than a bad review that was like i felt so bad that that had to happen a few times that it 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 can be crushing. Those are worse than reviews. Reviews are opinions, and they're entitled to them. And if they're good, they're good. And if they're bad, they're bad. But in the end, I really worry more about the psyche of the people that are working it, because if they get affected by it, then that sucks. They put a lot of work into it. Right. You know, that's my that's my feeling. What are some shows that you've seen that you really, really have liked, um, and how have uh, different uh, shows or um, any other sort of media uh, impacted you as an artist? Well, let's see. Um, as far as like theater goes, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for musicals. I always have been. I just saw a great one, uh, Come From Away, mm-hmm. which I thought was just fantastic. I don't know if you saw that. It was just fantastic. Um, but that was a full-on musical. But they used some very cool improv moves. Everybody was on stage pretty much the whole time in different characters. So they did edits like an improv show for a big musical. And it was really outstanding. So that's something I like. I like when I see other um, elements of other uh, crafts used in a new mm-hmm. cool way like when you watch stomp it's like well that's cool they use these right. these bic lighters to make music oh that's really cool i like that sort of thing that's a, that I, I i so i like that i was also influenced um by it, i'm more I'm, i think i'm more influenced by television and movies than i was theater mm-hmm. even though i saw some great <laughs> great theater in chicago um i think i was more influenced by the by television <laughs> You know, the electric company as a kid, you're, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 50. That was a big influence on me. It was a kid's show, but my God, it was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monty Python, things like that, SNL to a certain degree. But I was more of an SCTV guy. Um, so those are as I'm growing up. As I got older, I really, I got to say, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I mentioned him a couple times already, Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. I don't write like Woody Allen, but I watch a Woody Allen movie because I want to see a movie where people who actually exist might be you know it's not a superhero it's not a comic it's not geared to kids it's where real people actually might exist that actually talk like this i love that Mm -hmm. and so i'm always influenced by him in any any of his movies what's what are some of your favorite woody allen movies um manhattan hannah and her sisters bullets over broadway uh crimes and misdemeanors annie hall those are all he of my top 100 movies he's got like 15 Mm -hmm. easy in a walk and so i just named those off manhattan murder mystery totally underrated um Mm -hmm. i love i love midnight in paris i I love midnight in paris too i thought that was a really good movie yeah i thought that was fantastic because again it was real people that you liked in a situation and you watch them react and that is always to me a great comedy or just a great let me put it this way sean i think i'd rather be interesting than funny and that's weird from a comic writer but i'd rather it be interesting like george carlin wasn't always funny he was interesting and you'd be like oh my god i didn't think of that Mm -hmm. i'm but i'm still totally engaged and want to hear what's next i'd rather be sort of interesting than funny if you can be both giddy up (laughs) even better (laughs) and let's hope we see that in losers bracket uh any last words anything else you want to add about the show or about yourself i will say this um i'm glad it's back in the i'm glad it's in the quad cities and i'm glad that there's talent uh that's going to be performing this because i've I've performed around the country and i've been to a lot of you know la chicago i've been i've seen a lot of actors and actresses there's as much there's as good a talent here in the Quad Cities as there is anywhere in the country. I the, agree. The I difference agree. is there's just more of it in other sure. cities just because there's more people. But as far as the level of talent, the level of, of, of completely talented, wonderful, 
uh, creative people in this community. It's outstanding. It's top notch, and I want that to be shown. I hope that the play is up to their standards, and I th- I, I, I'm confident it will be because of the people involved. But I want to say that about the Quad Cities. I think there's a great arts community here that is as good as anything in the country. There's just a little bit more of it in bigger cities, but here, this is this is a great spot. Right, it's a great spot. Cool, cool, man. Any last words? Any famous last words or infamous last words, Clay? (laughs) The dude abides. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, cool, man. Well, check out uh, Loser's Bracket. It's coming to the Black Box Theater in downtown Moline. Um, And it's right across the street from the big old uh, dispatch. um, Actually, it's not. It's It's not across from the dispatch. It's across from uh, the old Moline Club, which is now the new hotel. I think it's called the Axis. Uh, So it's right across from the Axis, kitty corner from the old library. Um, so there you go. Black Box Theater, downtown Moline. It's coming up uh, November 15th. It starts your typical showtime, 7 o'clock. Be there at 7 o'clock Friday and Saturday. I think there's a matinee on Sunday as well. So uh, we'll have more info on it on quadcities.com. And once again, I want to thank Clay Sander, who is the creative mastermind the behind this, the co-playwright <laughs> behind Loser's Bracket. And go check that out over at the Black Box coming up. Once again, thank you so much for listening to QC Uncut. Uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers. I'm Sean Leary. Have a great day.